right. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You guys got an hour extra sleep. Everybody feeling good? All right. Hey, so um, if you were here last Sunday, you might remember that Pastor Steve, like he likes to do sometimes, had some kids come up on stage. You guys remember that? Were the kids not amazing last week? So Steve needed four volunteers. So sitting over in the family service in the gym was my friend J.D. Shin and his sister Ellie Grace. And when they heard that they needed a, a kid volunteer, you know what they did? They got up and they raced over here only to get here to be the fifth kid in line. I know, I know. And they're awesome too. Look at them. And so I'm like... I need some help today, and so, J.D., I, I, I need some help with something. Could you help me? Do it. Hey, kids, you are dismissed to Children's Church. <laughs> <laughs> and who gets to go? Who gets to go to ch- kids, Children's Church? For kids, sixth grade and down. Oh, so grade six and down. Okay, awesome. All right. Hey, you guys, they have the authority. <laughs> so, J.D. said... Kids are dismissed to Children's Church, grade six and down. You guys are on your way, and you guys did awesome. JD, nice job. Outstanding. Thank you, Ellie Grace. Good job. All right. When you run all the way from the gym, you got to get your chance. So, well done by them. So, well, hey, uh, the rest of you, if you would grab your message notes, you're going to want to grab a Bible because we're beginning actually a brand new series today for three weeks, just a short series called This, in, this Is Us, as we're looking at topics of marriage um, and family. And today's topic is on marriage, and we're going to be looking at God's design for marriage, which we're calling From Me to We, From Me to We. Um, but before we jump into that, I got to tell you about an early morning text message that I got a few weeks ago, um, actually on my birthday. And before I tell you the story, you need to know a little of the backstory. The backstory is that um, my parents borrowed our Toyota Sequoia to go up to Donner Lake to pull a, a trailer. So we have a, a Toyota Sequoia. We've had it for probably 10 plus years, a little bit bigger car, could pull the trailer up into the mountains. And um, I've, I've loved this Toyota Sequoia. It's great. My favorite thing about it is it's very reliable. It just always seems to work, never requires any work or anything like that. And so I was happy for my parents to borrow my car. Um, to go up to the mountains. Well, imagine my surprise then when uh, early one morning I got a text message that said this. It was from my mom, and it said, Call me when you get up. We had bear issues. P.S. Happy birthday. We love you. (laughs) Right. So I'm like, well, at least they love me and happy birthday. That's great. But what do you mean with bear issues? Well, turns out there are a lot of bears in that area, as you can see from some of these pictures. Um, These were just taken right around the house in in recent uh, days, uh, recent years at least. And uh, one of these bears, and you know who you are, uh, thought that that Toyota Sequoia somehow looked like a picnic basket. And so early in the morning, this bear comes up and opens the door to the car. That's right, opens the door to the car with its paw, goes inside the car. Turns out, however, this bear is not great at doors because then almost immediately the door closed behind him. So now you've got a bear stuck inside a Toyota Sequoia. Um, In fact, here's a little video of the uh, uh, trucky police officer who came out to help uh, save the day and opens up the door. If you watch this, he's going to knock on the door. He's going to open up the door and kind of step back for the bear to run out. He's even thinking about it there. He's looking. Should I do it? Okay. Maybe it's a bear in there. Should I really do this? 
and open the door and run away. <laughs> and why would you run away? Because inside there was a bear. Can you believe that thing? I know. Well, I don't know if you know this, but it turns out that bears can make quite a mess out of the inside of a car. And um, so, yeah, so he was stuck inside, and he kind of uh, ate one of the, the passenger seat. Um, he tore the headliner off. He went to all four doors and kind of yanked on all the doors to get out. He went to the bathroom in, I think, three spots in the car. Um, and so, yeah, so the car, that's a little picture of what it looked like. Um, but it was all on the inside, so it's still drove, no problem. Um, so my parents got in the car, uh, drove it down the hill, came to see me here at uh, work and said, here's your car back, Glenn. <laughs> Not even happy birthday, I love you anymore. It's just here's your car. Um, and so turns out, though, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, at least our insurance company, if you go on the, the website where you make a claim, it's not right on the, the homepage. You've got to dig deep on the website to find this. But if you click a bunch of times, you find a place where you can make a claim for wild animal damage. Wild animal damage. So we made that claim. Um, the insurance company actually has given us enough money uh, to make all of those repairs, plus a few extras that needed to uh, take place on the car. And we even have a little bit of money left over. And yet, here's the deal. It was a ton of work because you had to go find all these very kind of obscure parts that needed to be replaced, and you had to find the specialist to do these things. And so it was just a, a ton of work in the process. And so the question is, what can we learn uh, from that? Well, there's probably a number of things that we should learn. One is, if there are bears in the area, lock the doors, right? Because there wasn't even any food inside. The bear just helped himself, maybe wanted to go for a drive. I don't know. Um, but something else, and the reason I actually bring this up is we're beginning this series, this short series on marriage and family. Um, I realize that for a lot of us, myself included, we like our marriage and even our family to kind of be like our, our vehicles, like our cars. In other words, I want my car to work. I don't want to work on it. Right? I just always want it to be reliable. I want it to be there for me. When it's there, I want it. I need it. I don't want to spend a bunch of time working on it. And, and I, I don't want it, to, I want it to work. I just don't want to work on it. And yet we also know that if things are left undealt with, that eventually things fall apart. And that's true with the car. And that's true with relationships. And then the reality is sometimes big stuff comes along and like a wild animal tends to tear things up. And so we've got to do the work. And, and so as we begin this series, I just want to acknowledge something that we know to be true. But as Christians, I hope you know that, that we have an enemy in this world. We have this enemy, the devil, who is compared in the Bible to a wild animal. Not a bear, but he's compared to a lion. And this is what Jesus' closest disciple, Peter, says about this enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this. It says, be alert. Be of sober mind. Do the work, you could say there. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And while that verse is not specifically about marriage and family, if there's one thing that being in, in ministry for 30 years has taught me, it is that the devil loves to go after the family for a number of different reasons. One, because he knows that it can bring so much pain and, and suffering and difficulty for us. But I think he also knows that if, if we're not willing to do the work, if we're not willing to grab a hold of Christ and to, to hang on to him with all that, that we've got, that he can get in there and he can make 
a mess, and, 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 um, and the family is very vulnerable. So before we jump into this morning's message, I, I just want to say something else, because I know that people that are listening today, whether it's here or online, wherever you are, um, I know that people are coming from all different places when it comes to marriage. There are some people that are listening today that, that you're in a happy marriage and, you know, you're thankful for a, you know, a little tune-up and maybe learn a few things. That'd be great. There's others of you that today are hanging on by a thread, right? And things feel like they're just falling apart. And you're just like, please give me something that I could grab a hold of. Give me something. I talked to a number of those people even after the, the first service. And so we know that that's very real. There's some people here who are, are not married and maybe will be married one day, maybe not. There's also a lot of people here that have experienced the pain of marriage through the years. And maybe it's pain in something that happened in your, your parents or in your, fa- in your, your uh, you know, close family member's relationship. Or maybe it's in your own marriage and you got into it and through all kinds of circumstances, maybe it was something you did, maybe it was something that was done to you, you felt the pain of a marriage falling apart and, and ending in divorce. And so what I want to say is I understand, I, I get it, that I tread lightly here. This is a topic that brings up a lot of anxiety. This is a topic that can bring up a lot of, uh, uh, of guilt or regret or embarrassment. And so wherever you are in that, I am glad that you are here this morning because this is a place of grace. This is a place where we, none of us is better than the other person. We all depend on God equally wherever we are in this. And no matter where you've been, my heart, not just for this morning, but for these next few weeks, is that we wouldn't even focus so much on the, the past and, and, and where we've come from, but where God wants to take us. And wherever you are, God is with you. God is leading you. This is a, a time for you to, to learn and to grow and to experience God's grace and goodness. And so having said all that, we're going to start today at the very beginning when we talk about family. And, and when we talk about marriage specifically, we're going to see God's original design for marriage, which I think comes from, as I said, the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, uh, page 1 or 2 in most of your uh, Bibles. And in Genesis chapter 2, maybe you know the context there, God first of all creates Adam. He creates the man and he says that it's not good for the man to be alone. So Adam is there and he's alone and, and it's not good, God says. And so he's looking all over amongst all the things that he'd created to find someone that would be that partner, that person that, that Adam would, would connect to. And they look for all the animals, but nothing he finds is good. And so God causes Adam to fall into a sleep. And from out of Adam, God takes something that he makes into the woman. He makes Eve. And then God brings Eve to Adam. And Adam, when he first sees Eve, is so overwhelmed with what he sees that he actually breaks into a poem. He actually sings a song. Did you know that? It's not a very good song. It's not very romantic. I don't recommend it. But this is what um, Adam says uh, to Eve. It's in Genesis 2, verse 23, and it says this. God brought uh, Eve to Adam, and it says, The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken from man. See what I mean? Not exactly the most romantic thing ever. Not a great pickup line. I don't suggest that you use that. But in Adam's defense, there is some, uh, the, the, the Hebrew has got some poetry to it. It's got a rhythm and even some rhyme uh, to it. So we imagine that there's a little bit of uh, emotion to it. But in English, maybe a way that Adam could have said this is this, is wow, now this is it. God, this is what we were looking for. We were made for each other. 
And now for Adam, it's not just Adam anymore. It's Adam and Mrs. Adam. In fact, you could say that this was the original Adam's family right here in this passage. John Calvin, in a more serious way, talks about and translates this passage several hundred years ago like this. He says, now at length. Adam says, I have obtained a suitable companion who is part of the substance of my flesh and in whom I behold, as it were, another self. There is something sacred. There is something rooted in creation that is taking place in these two coming together. I love what the Bible commentary Matthew Henry, uh, I think, originally said. He said this, the woman was made out of the rib, out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And so that's the conversation that, that, has, that Adam has right at first when he sees Eve. And then right after that, we see that God gives us three descriptions of what should happen in this relationship because of, of what we see there. So we're up to uh, verse 24. So three things that God says should take place in, in his design for marriage. It says this, That is why a man leaves his father and mother, and they are united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So as I said, the, kind of the topic for today is moving from me to we. And I want to suggest that's God's original design for marriage. It's not just a selfish thing. It's not just a self thing. It's an us thing. I don't even go into it just to fulfill myself. I go into it to be a part of this we that God designed me for. So moving from me to we, and we see that there's three steps described, very familiar to you uh, if you've read this passage at all uh, before. And the first one is this. If we're going to move from me to we, it means that we leave behind our past dependencies. So it says this, a man will leave his father and mother. Now, of course, in that culture, that actually spoke of leaving behind the, 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 the protection and the provision and the authority of the parents' home. Um, now, nowadays, many people live on their own, or, you know, not under their parents' roof before they uh, get married. And yet still this principle holds true, that we leave behind those past things that we depend on. Why? So that we can become united together. So that I can give my full loyalty, my full devotion, my full first earthly priority to my spouse. And so it says we don't hold on to those things. That doesn't mean that we don't have a relationship with our parents anymore or, or with old friends. But what it means is we cut the cord in such a way that we can, can make that spouse the, our first priority and our first loyalty. By the way, parents, there's some really important advice in here for us on this. Um, if you're of age where your kids are getting married, which was us just about three weeks ago, our son got married. And so right away, Janie and I are, are trying to learn this. What does it mean to let them, you know, do what God's designed them to do to, to leave? That means we don't, you know, offer unsolicited advice, even if the, if the advice is super awesome, which it usually is. <laughs> It means we don't put our expectations and our burdens on them. It means that we're here to love and to support and to do everything that we can to encourage that relationship to be their priority. Because if we're going to move from me to we, it means that we leave behind our past dependencies. Why do we do that? So we can become united 
together. We become united together. So the old King James says it like this. We leave and we cleave. You know, you guys raised with that word, we cleave together. The idea behind this word is, is a permanent or an indissoluble union. I actually looked up the Hebrew word for, for this united together. It's the Hebrew word devak. And uh, the definition says this, to cling, to stay close to, to cleave, to stick to, to stick with, or to follow closely. So what we see is that God, not so much even here, but throughout his teaching in the word, talks about marriage as a covenant relationship. And specifically, it's not a a contract, but it's a covenant kind of relationship. Uh, For modern Americans, that's that's a, a thing that we're not real familiar with. We don't do covenants that much. We're used to contracts. And a contract says this, we enter into this agreement and as long as things are going good, then, then that's what we'll do. So I have a, a contract with my cell phone provider or with my cable provider. And as long as they offer me good service, we'll stick together. But if something else comes along better, I'm out of there and I'm going to do something else. God says that's not the way that marriage works. Marriage is this covenant relationship that works together. They, they are united together. It's like two pieces of paper that are glued together. And so now they're united and, and they can be torn apart. They can be separated out, but not without some damage, right? Not without some tearing and a little bit of pain. And so we leave behind those past dependencies. We become united together. Why do we do this? Because God's design is that they would become one flesh. That's the ultimate move from me to we. Now it's not even me. It's we. We are one flesh. So this one flesh certainly describes the the physical sexual union. That was a a big part of God's good design uh, excuse me, for a marriage relationship, but it's even more than that because it speaks of a, of a closeness and intimacy because what we see is that the relationship between Adam and Eve is different from the relationship with all the other things. It doesn't mean you can't be close or even have, you know, intimate closeness with a friend or someone like that, but what it says is there is something that's different in this relationship. How do I know that? Well, look at Adam and Eve. What does it say about them? They were naked and they felt no shame. Which again, probably speaks to that physical union, but more than that, it speaks of, a, of an intimacy that's even relational, it's spiritual, it's companionship. Because to, to be naked and unashamed is to say, all of me I give to you, and all of you I receive to me. And that was God's design for marriage. And it wasn't good for the man to be alone, but the woman to be alone. But now look at that and look at what God's designed. And it's beautiful and it's awesome and it's super easy to do, right? Because it just says right here, you just, you leave, you, you join together, you become one flesh. And, you know, you stand up in front of a group of people, you say I do, and, and you move from me to we. And then the rest has just got to be flowers and breakfast in bed, Right? In fact, this is so easy to do. Maybe we should all just close in prayer and go to lunch right now. They're doing tamales. You know what? That would be the case. That would be the case if Genesis 2 was the end of the story. And yet, unfortunately, Genesis 2 is not the end of the story. Because you turn the page, and the first thing we see in Genesis chapter 3 is that sin enters into the picture. And again, the devil comes as a wild animal, not as a lion or as a bear. This time he comes as a serpent, trying to, to trick and, 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 and manipulate the, the man and the woman, even against one another. And the, the, this serpent enters in some false beliefs, some false assumptions that start to twist with their mind. And before long, they... they they, they um, eat the fruit and sin enters in. And, and it destroys not only their relationship, but it destroys their relationship with the creation, their relationship with themselves, their relationship with God. But it harms their relationship with one another. How do we know this? What's the first thing that we see Adam and Eve do after that? They go and they begin looking for some fig leaves. 
so they could cover up. Because now, that intimacy that God designed him for, this all of me I give to you and all of you I receive to me, now is something that we have to cover up. And it's something that doesn't come easily anymore. And it's something that requires work. But here's the problem. I like my relationships like I like my vehicle. I don't want to work on them. I just want them to always work. And that's not the way it goes. So we've got this dilemma now. So where do we go from here? Well, Genesis 2 is what scholars call a primary source passage. What it, you, what it means is, is that formula for marriage in those verses that we just read is something that you see scattered throughout all kinds of different places in the scripture. That's the primary source, but other authors either quote it or elaborate on it or those kind of things, including Jesus himself. And in Mark chapter 10 and in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus not only quotes this passage that we just read from Genesis to show his affirmation, but Jesus also very fascinatingly adds something to it that even strengthens it from the Genesis passage. So uh, flip over in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. I want you guys to see this. Mark 10, uh, eventually we're going to be in about verse 6. But the context, as you're finding Mark 10, is some Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask a question that is a question that actually still gets asked a lot. It's something that I still get asked to this day. And the question is, so when are we allowed to, to get a divorce? And they were always trying to, to trap Jesus and, and trick Jesus. But there's, there's always this sense that we're looking for a loophole. We're looking for an escape clause. What's, you know, what, what's my get out of jail card here? And while scripture does say that infidelity can be grounds for divorce, we also see in Jesus' teaching that it doesn't have to be that way. That even because if there has been unfaithfulness, that doesn't mean that divorce is required or necessary. And, and I've known relationships and know relationships where even through the, the difficult pain of, of infidelity and, and unfaithfulness, you can do the work. You can restore those things. And, and so, um, so they come and they ask Jesus a question. But eventually, um, when Jesus is asked about divorce, he goes back to the primary source. He goes back to God's original design in Genesis chapter 2. This is what it says. I'm in verse 6 here now. It says, that, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And again, Jesus affirms what we see in the, the original passage, that that gender is, is unique and, and sacred and designed to, to go together, right? So, so gender, what God made us to be is important and is, is valuable. Um, and so he says, God made you male or, or female, and for this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. He's just given us the passage. And then the two will become one flesh. And therefore, uh, uh, so, they, so, uh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then look at verse 9. It says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And do you see what Jesus does there? Jesus affirms the covenant relationship of marriage rooted in creation. He says, yeah, this is the way God made it. But then he adds something to even strengthen it. He says, what God joins together, let no person or no thing separate, right? And when Jesus does this, he acknowledges something that if we think about it, we all know to be true. That there are forces in this world that are working overtime to pull apart and to separate what God has joined together. And we see that specifically in marriage, right? We talked about one of the, the, the enemy's favorite target points is the family. 
and his, his marriage together. And so Jesus acknowledges this truth. And he says that, that there are things that will try to separate. Remember a bear that tears things up or a, a lion that prowls around or a serpent that comes and whispers lies. Now, we could all make a list of people and things um, that are trying to pull apart what God has joined together. Maybe some specific things in, in your marriage, and it's probably not a, a bad thing to be aware of. Be sober and alert is what the scripture says. We should be alert to what are those things that the devil can use in my life to, to pull apart what, what God's designed. But we could sit here and we could make a list of kind of things across the culture that are, are pulling marriages apart. Things like uh, couples going through, through deep financial problems and arguments that go with that. Uh, there could be in-law problems and family issues. There's struggles with children. There's addictive behaviors or compulsive things that are, are adding to problems in the marriage. Uh, it could be couples that are dealing with just kind of a selfishness or, or anger that seems to unrelent. We also see that there's a huge rise in, in marital unfaithfulness. I, I heard another story just today. Oh, so-and-so met someone on social media and started that little relationship. And, and when left unguarded, suddenly it's someone's marriage falling apart. And so we know that there are all kinds of forces that will work hard to, to pull apart what God has joined together. But what I want to do this morning is I want to step back from kind of those outward symptoms of marriage problems. And I want us to see something bigger that is at work here. And I'm talking about kind of an external philosophy or belief or almost kind of worldview that is prominent in our culture um, and may have a bigger impact on your marriage than you can even imagine, because this is something that is kind of a, a belief out there that is working overtime to pull uh, people apart and to get us away from God's design of giving myself to another person till death do us part. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So we're talking here about exterior uh, forces, and, and kind of what I'm talking about here is a belief that marriage is all about self-fulfillment. Because if you really drill down deep into what people believe about marriage, you will hear people say marriage and relationship is all about self-fulfillment. Even when God said marriage is about moving from me and self to we and us. Why do I say all this? Well, I mentioned that in uh, 2020, or maybe I didn't mention this, um, in 2020 there were 630,000 divorces um, in the United States. So that's uh, 1,700 um, divorces uh, every day in the year, um, 1.5 or almost 1.5 uh, divorces every minute of every year here in the United States. And so we know that marriage is under attack. So for a while now, the divorce rate has hovered right around um, 50%, which is a lot, right? Um, but did you know that if you go back a, about 50 years or maybe a little more than 50 years ago, what you find is that the divorce rate was less than half of that. And so this, this this divorce rate of almost half is, is kind of a modern thing. We also see that 50 years ago, or a little over 50 years ago, 75% of all adults in the United States were, were married. Today, less than 50% of adults are married. And so that's just a change in, in kind of our, our culture and in the way things go. In addition, uh, 50 years ago, the number of people that were living together um, that were not married was almost zero. Um, today, it's about one-third of all unmarried women between the ages of 25 and 40 are living with a partner that they're not married to. So all of these statistics and others like them show, I'm just trying to, to lay the groundwork, that there's a dramatic shift 
in the way people view marriage and kind of what people actually think in our culture about marriage. These statistics and other like them, others like them also show that there's a per- pervasive, what I would just call an, an unbiblical view of of marriage that, as I said, may have a bigger impact on on your relationship than you think. Why do I mean that? Well, there are some modern false assumptions about marriage today. So in the same way that the serpent came and whispered lies, there are some very prominent beliefs that are out there in our culture today that I think are things that can actually pull us apart. And these came originally from uh, Tim and Kathy Keller's book, uh, excellent book on the meaning of marriage. And let me just give you three false assumptions that they suggest are true in our culture today. And the first one is this. There's a false assumption that most marriages are unhappy. Most marriages are unhappy. It's kind of the old ball and chain mentality kind of thing. And you could see why people might feel this way. I just went over all the divorce statistics, right? And so you could see why people would say, well, gosh, it's, you know, it's, it's, things are, are, are not that, that good. We see actually a younger generation that is saying, I'm not sure I even believe about this whole marriage stuff, right? Why, why would I, why would I rush into something that's going to cause hurt and pain? And so people are either getting married much later or they're just saying, no, thank you. I'm not going to pursue it at all. So there's this false kind of assumption that's out there that, that marriage is, is unhappy and, you know, is, is, um, is so dip, too difficult. But did you know that two-thirds of marriages, see if I can explain this correctly, two-thirds of marriages that identify as unhappy, specifically are in a position where they're trying to decide, are we going to move forward with this relationship? Two-thirds of those that are identified as unhappy if they fight for it and stick together after five years, identified now as, as happy. We see that marriage can be restored and marriage can be rebuilt. rebuilt. And, and, you know, I hear this all the time. Someone says, well, we just fell out of love. I just don't feel that love anymore. I heard someone say that, that ending your marriage because you don't feel love anymore is kind of like selling your car because you ran out of gas, right? Love is something that that it's not easy, but can be rekindled and can be refilled. So there's that assumption out there. A second assumption in our culture is this, is that living together before marriage is the best way to find out if you, if, uh, you have the right person, right? Especially when it comes to uh, that r- right romantic and, and sexual chemistry. So the best way to find that out is, is by living together. Now, again, ironically, for years, statistics have shown that d- divorce rates for couples that live together are are significantly higher uh, than those that that don't live together before they get married. And it's fascinating that the sooner sex is introduced into a relationship, the more likely that relationship is going to break up. And yet we live with this assumption that this is the way you figure stuff out. A third assumption about marriage, and and this is, uh, is that the key to a lasting and healthy marriage is finding the perfectly compatible soulmate. This is the the Disney principle. This is the Hollywood principle. By the way, someone came up to me, I don't know if this is true, but came after me in, uh, in the first service and said, have you ever noticed that all the Disney movies end with the marriage? They don't show you life afterwards, right? It's all about just getting to that point. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I thought it was interesting that she told me that because there's this assumption out there that it's all about finding the one, the one, one, one. And, and kind of the, the idea behind that is I want to find someone who just accepts me for who I am, never tries to change me, but, but you know, she's going to kind of change to be the way that I want her to be. And, um, and the problem is, the, the reality is, is that the only person that you can change in your marriage is not the other person, it's me. And, and, and I assume, um, to assume that you have to find 
just the right person. The, the thinking goes like this. So I've, I've got to find just the right person. But then I get in this relationship and it's, it's a struggle and it's not going easily. What's your first thought? Oh, no, I've married the wrong person. Oh, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I've got to get out of here. Now, I share those things because I want you to see in all of this is just how different it is from God's design for marriage in Genesis 2, which is all about moving from me to we. It's about two individual people uh, coming together where they are better, uh, than coming together to be better, to better one another, to improve the other person. And yet the most prominent view of marriage in our culture is one of self fulfillment and me being happy and me having my needs met. And so now if I'm not having my needs met, I go find someone else or somewhere else that I can have those things fulfilled. And friends, so slowly but surely, our culture's view of marriage has shifted from God's design from me to we to it's all about me. And where marriage and family was designed for the good of the overall unit, now we were bombarded with messages telling us it's all about me. And the implications of this self-focused worldview are when things get tough, I'm out of here. And that's why we see this, right? And so that's kind of this bigger uh, exterior kind of false truth that is out there these days. But that external kind of philosophy, then it works its way into our real lives. We're going to deal with this much more in, in a, a couple weeks from now. Um, but there are, what are, what's kind of the implications, some inter internal things that happen inside of me because of that stuff that's going on outside of us. So internal things warring against our marriages uh, today. And I'm thinking about uh, specifically attitudes that, uh, that, that, that that idea produces are unrealistic expectations and an attitude of entitlement. So again, the thinking is if marriage is all about me and I come into it and I come into it with my big old box of expectations, right, that this is the way that it should go and this is how she should meet all my needs, so then I've got this big box of expectations and then it doesn't happen, there's a number of different things that can happen. One of the most common ones is I just get angry, right, and I have this kind of sense of entitlement that, well, if she's going to do this to me, then I'm going to do that to her. And if he's going to treat me this way, then I'm going to treat her this way. And then it just starts to spin uh, out of control time and time again. And so there's, there's attitude of external focus. So I said we're going to develop that a little bit more in weeks to come. But real quick, as we kind of wrap this up, what do we do about this? Because I know I presented kind of a heavy dilemma here that God's designed things one way and, and we're having a hard time living up to it. Well, I want to suggest the answer to this is in... Uh, the, the third thing that's trying to pull us apart, which is a wrong focus or a focus on the wrong things. Now, I got to tell you, all of this is stuff that I actually have been kind of thinking about a lot recently because uh, just about three weeks ago, um, my son Andrew uh, got married. And I always said I wasn't sure that I wanted to do my kids' weddings because if you know me, you know I'm like a softie. I'd you know, cry at anything. I'm like, I did not want to cry through the whole thing. Uh, but they asked me to do the wedding. I said, all right, I'll man up and I'll, I'll do it. And I'm so glad I did because it was a, a really fun um, experience. And just before um, the wedding or a few weeks before the wedding, um, I sent Andrew and Jessica uh, a message to ask them about what, kind of, what passage of Scripture they wanted 
at their wedding ceremony. And so I sent them a bunch of passages that were about marriage and romance and love and all these kind of things, husbands and wives, and, and um, thinking that they would send me back a passage that I would, would focus on as a part of their ceremony. Um, a few, uh, not long after that, Jessica, uh, his wife, actually sent me back a message, and this is exactly what the message said. She said, Glenn... In August of 2017, you preached a sermon on Hebrews 12 about the kingdom of God being an unshakable foundation upon which to build your life. And then she reminded me of all five points in that sermon. And she said, you know, I think that would be a great scripture and message for our wedding ceremony. So my first thought was, anybody that remembers all five points from a sermon five years ago that I preached is super welcome in our family. So... <laughs> That was great. We were happy about that. But my second thought was this. Wait a second. Hebrews 12, if you know it, it's not a marriage passage. It's not about love. It's not about husbands and wives. And yet, man, what incredible wisdom she had. Because listen to this passage and how it can begin to solve some of this dilemma that I just talked about. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that entangles us. So this cloud of witnesses are, are the, the people that have gone before us in the faith and even the people that surround us in, in a place like this today in the faith. People that can help and encourage you. Remember that cloud of witnesses. And, and so therefore, uh, throw off the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, it's not about getting rid of your spouse's sin, but what are the things in my life that are entangling me that I need to deal with? How are the, I can work on these things. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles and Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. When we talk about marriage, what is the race marked out for us? It's God's original design, right? That I would, would move from me to we. And so how do I run that race? I, I do it with perseverance. That means even when I get tired, I hang in there. Even when it's tough, I keep going. And then he gets to this. He says, and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, the only way that this crazy ideal of two unique people, made for one another, but made differently for one another, to come together to complete and fulfill one another in the way that God's designed us to do, is it takes the help of Jesus Christ. And so he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because what do we see in Jesus? We see the one who didn't come to make it all about himself, but come to sacrifice and even to lay down his life. And so that's why I think it's perfect that we would end today's um, service by taking communion together. So I want to invite some of our high school students up who are going to help us uh, serve communion here in just a moment. But as they're coming, let me just uh, tell you that communion uh, that we celebrate here once a month goes back to the night that Jesus was to give his life. Um, and he was uh, together with his disciples, and they were celebrating the, the, the Passover meal. And Jesus did things a little bit different at this Passover meal. He did what they normally do. He took bread and he gave thanks for it. But then he gave the bread out to his disciples and he said this, This is now my body given for you. Whenever you eat of this, do it in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the, the cup, the wine, and, and after giving thanks, he passed it around to them. And he said, This is now my blood poured out for you, the blood of a new covenant 
for you in this new covenant is, is remember that sin that tears apart everything good in Genesis 2 that is all torn apart by Genesis 3 and the, the entrance of sin. This is Jesus saying this is how that sin is covered over. This is how that, that sin is repaired through my sacrifice on your behalf. And so you need to hear a couple things here this morning. One is if, if you hear all of this about marriage and your first thought is it's gone so wrong for me and I'm why did it happen this way? Why did this happen to me? Why did I do that? And you are overwhelmed with guilt. You need to hear that Jesus Christ covered that guilt and paid for our sin. You don't have to walk around under that. God's got a future for you. The other thing you need to hear, and some of us need to hear this, is, is we're in a place where, where I'm still fighting for this, but I need God's strength and I need God's help. This is a reminder that Jesus is there with us and will lead us and guide us when we fix our eyes on him. So we're going to celebrate communion as we often do here at church. Um, first, we're going to pass around the, the bread. And if you would hold on to that, um, I'll lead us in a prayer for that um, in just a moment. But I am going to invite Jenna to come on up. And Jenna's going to say a prayer for the bread. So thank you, Jenna, for doing that. Please bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here at church today. I thank you that we get to take communion and recognize the bread is your body, broken and sacrificed for us. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Whenever you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. All right, I want to invite another one of our high school students, Haley Lucas, to come on up. And she's going to pray for the cup. Thanks, Haley. Please bow your heads. Dear God, we ask you to bless this juice for those who will receive it. That the one and only son saved us by shedding his blood for us. We love you and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Well, hey, now as the cup comes around, um, feel free to take that. And um, whenever you're ready, feel free to, to take that. And our worship team is going to be leading us in a song. If you want to join in and stand, you're welcome to do that as well. Um, but let's fix our eyes on Jesus and remember his blood shed for us. Amen. And those are Jesus' words to you today. Fix your eyes on me. It's not about where you've been, but it's about where I'm taking you. Fix your eyes on me and run the race mark out for you. Well, hey, thanks so much for being here today. I hope you're encouraged. I know uh, there's challenge in this too. If there's anything that we as a church staff can do to, to help in any way, um, either the pastoral staff, we've got a great lay counseling team that would love to talk over these or any other um, issues as well. Um, but as we're dismissed too, let me just remind you here on the first Sunday of the month, we have some, uh, I think our high school students are going to be at the back collecting what's called our deacons fund offering. And that goes to help with needs in our church family. Um, and then also if you're visiting with us today. Welcome, glad you're here. Um, and we do what we call this little five-minute party. And there's some fresh baked cookies in my office. I'd love for you to stop by, or maybe you've been coming for a while, but have never uh, stopped by and introduced yourself. We'd love to, to visit with you just a little bit um, afterwards. And so for now, let me dismiss us with a word of prayer and ask God's blessing as we go. Father, we speak the name of Jesus over our lives because in the name of Jesus, there is healing and life. The one who calmed the wind and the waves speaks over us. Peace be still. Father, you have a great plan for us. And though there's trial and struggle to find that, give us the perseverance. Give us the strength to die to ourselves, to put the other before ourselves, following our example, Jesus Christ. 
Father, we go out now empowered, filled with your body and your blood, people of a new covenant, right with our maker, right with one another because of what you've done. So Lord, we love you. I just pray your blessing on each family and each marriage for those that are struggling, for those that are blessed, for those that are done. Father, we pray life and goodness for the future of each and every person here. And we go now in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great day.